The Route 16 Grind, Episode 7. Look! Squirrel! The Route 16 Grind is sponsored by Sea State Coffee, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, and Route 16 Off-Road. The Route 16 Grind, the podcast for outdoor adventurers. Each week, we bring you information related to off road and outdoor activities. If you wheel, hunt, fish, overland, or are an all around adventurer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we pour a cup of sea steak coffee and talk about informative topics, the gear, and the training that can help you have a successful outdoor adventure. We have amazing contributors and some great conversation. So, grab your cup and enjoy the show. Here are your hosts, Brian and Chuck. All right, Happy New Year 2020. So glad to be What's back. Up, man? Yeah, man. How you doing? How are the holidays? Good. Uh, short and long all at the same time, I guess. Be a good way to describe it. Um, kind of a whirlwind between the Colorado trip, getting back from there, and then jumping right into the holidays, and then turn around and get sick, get strep throat uh, the day after New oh, Year's. Oh, man. No good there. So, Yeah, I, I tell you, I enjoy the holidays, but I'm not going to lie. I'm actually happy when they're over, get back into like the normal routine, um, you know, because it seems like some things take a pause. Uh, I work a lot with the government and stuff and yeah, so nothing gets done around December. So it's nice to get back in the swing of things and, you know, people go back to work and, you know, we're able to do some great things. So I look forward to that, but man, so we missed a couple of shows here and there and we have sure. a big show this time guys. So Chuck, why don't you let these guys know what we got in store for them? On this episode of the Route 16 Grind, this week's outdoor update, Chuck has an update on the Land and Water Conservation Fund and then gives a rundown of some hunting opportunities now that deer season is winding down across the country. The From the Field segment features an interview with an ultra-exclusive guest about his recent hunt on some North Carolina public lands. In the Rock, Mud, and Dirt segment, Brian talks about 2019 and what is to come in 2020. In our first Go Adventuring segment, we have an interview with Overland Extraordinaire and YouTuber, Sir William Goes. And then finally, in the Cup of Joe segment, Chuck and Brian discuss upcoming guest interviews and where to go if you still need some meat in the fridge. The Red Warren Badge says you're equipped to handle anything, ready to conquer any challenge that may come your way. That badge has stood for off-road excellence for more than 70 years. During that time, we haven't stopped innovating or striving for perfection. Be ready. Be prepared. Go Warren. The Outdoor Update is brought to you by Tuffy Security Products. Having your vehicle broken into is not a laughing matter. Trust Tuffy Security Products to stop opportunistic thieves. Tuffy is the industry leader in automotive security and provides peace of mind when you walk away from your rig. Durable and easy to install. Tuffy Security Products has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lockboxes available for you to organize your rig and secure your gear. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Remember to lock it up. Welcome back to the Outdoors Update, the weekly segment where we provide you with stories, news, and information from the recent goings-ons in the outdoor world. 
Well, after a long break over the Christmas and New Year's holiday, I'm going to start off the outdoor update with a little bit of bad news. It's not like chicken little bad news, but it's not great news nonetheless. If you'll remember uh, back in episode three, if you didn't catch that one, it's the more you know. I discussed the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and it's need to be fully funded. And to get a brief rundown, I recommend you revisit that or you go back to it if you haven't listened. But uh, a little synopsis, I just discussed that there was some there was some legislation floating around that would fully fund the LWCF, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. Now, granted, all hope isn't lost, and this next Congress and uh, legislature could pass the bills necessary to fully fund the LWCF, but it would have just been nice to get that out of the way, and it'd free up some of the time in Washington for them to tackle some other outdoor recreation-related issues. And so I highly encourage you to kind of keep track of that and uh, keep a keep an eye out for any uh, LWCF news that's floating around. I'll definitely be updating you as more information comes along. But I just wanted to give everybody a heads up and let you know that it did not get uh, get voted through. And now I know Brian and myself are both hoping that you out there have been listening to the podcast and you've become curious about different hunting opportunities and wondering how you can get involved and well maybe like the thought of deer hunting is just too daunting or you don't want to start out hunting a large game animal you want to go something a little bit smaller a little bit easier to manage or maybe even you're a seasoned hunter and you just want to expand your time of field or just a newbie looking for any opportunity to get out well i've got a little bit of information for you so right now it's one of my favorite times of the year and it's what i call small game season and although small game seasons have been going on across the country for, for months here in North Carolina since October, pretty much, uh, to me, it doesn't really begin until after deer season wraps up, or at least till very close to it. A couple of weeks ago, during deer season, I went out and uh, was able to take four squirrels to bring home and put in the freezer. But typically, I don't small game hunt because I'm just consumed deer hunting, and I can't bring myself to do anything else a lot of the times. But after deer season goes out, in my opinion, it is one of the best times to get out and chase squirrels, rabbits. Uh, here in North Carolina, we got a late dove season that's going on. And this is especially a good time if you don't have any private land to hunt on. And the reason is, is you got the woods to yourself. Uh, particularly with game lands, I've talked to a lot of people. And a pretty common response for why people don't hunt game lands is because I don't want to hunt them because I don't want to get shot. And this goes for for this is even coming from folks I know that have deer hunted and hunted their whole lives. They have some kind of unfounded fear of game lands. Accidents do happen, but realistically, game lands are a very safe place to be, particularly if you're following all the laws. But I do get it, especially if you've never been out and about. You've never been out in the woods hunting, really, uh, or you've never walked around on public lands where you really don't know what's around the next bend or who's going to be there. And, and some people just in general... Like, I don't want to, they'll say, I don't want to deer hunt, but I don't want to ruin somebody else's deer hunt, which I get that. So now you can get out on federal and state lands where permissible without the worry of walking up on anybody that is deer hunting, that is still hunting. Most people are going to be walking around anyway at this time of the year. So, but I do want to make sure that you know that you do have every right to be on those lands during any hunting season. And waiting until deer season goes out to chase other game isn't a requirement. And it also, it shouldn't be a moral conundrum either. 
if you want to be out there, be out there, just be respectful of the other hunters that are there. Uh, and that's realistically all we can ask. But in addition to the less hunting competition, you can also get out and get a leg up on next fall and do a little bit of scouting for deer season while you're also hunting another game. And maybe you'll stumble upon that area where the bucks have been held up all during the late season once the pressure gets to them. Or maybe you'll even find that that picture-perfect hardwood ridge that you need to be sitting in next October. So really, if you're interested in it, I, I highly recommend getting out. If you want to start your hunting life off, uh, small game's a great way to do it. Uh, you don't have to have a ton of experience to get out and small game hunt. Uh, I do recommend trying to find a mentor of some sort or trying to find a friend to go out with more so from a safety aspect, but it doesn't take a lot of land to go hunt some squirrels, maybe kick a rabbit up out of the bushes or something, maybe some dove. I know duck season's still going on in most areas. Well, pretty much in all areas and duck season's a little bit more difficult with a little bit of research. You may get lucky and find some hole on some public land that you can wade out into or something if you, if you don't have a boat, but I really would like for you to get out. If you're interested, uh, feel free to reach out to us and reach out on social media or whatnot or all of our avenues. But really, just check your local wildlife agency website. See what opportunities you have and and then really get out there and attack them. I'm telling you, small game, it's a great way to gain access to a piece of property, a piece of private property. There there are tons of public lands out there to get out and on and walk around on. And it's it's... It's way less of a quote unquote challenge. It's still, it's still difficult to do, but it, it, it really is. Um, it's, it's a little bit easier to, to process. Um, uh, and plus you're also, it's, I mean, it's fun as hell, but you're also gaining experience and knowledge that is applicable to other hunting pursuits. For instance, like say, if you're not real familiar with finding game in a scope, trying to find squirrels in a scoped rifle, get you that practice of, of, picking stuff up in a scope when deer season rolls around you're not looking around trying to find the animal in a scope and then you end up the animal ended up getting away because of it so just a little heads up that's some advice for me i really do love the small game hunting and i, I really encourage everybody to get out there and get on it i personally uh used to enjoy squirrel hunting when i was a kid um and they're fast little quitters and you got to be on your toes and it's not as simple as people uh, like to think it is now, every now and then you get that one that, you know, sitting on the tree and it's all spread out and all that. But yeah, it, it's, I think it's pretty fun. Definitely. And they oh. do have meat on them, but that, oh, the, oh, uh, man. land and conserv land water conservation fund thing. That's a kind of a bummer, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to be honest with you, this is no surprise to me where it was last time it was still going through the whole committee process and everything so so for it to jump out and run out of the committee process and go through congress that was kind of a pipe dream um or even the senate side of things and i don't know if people have heard or not but there's some other things going on in congress and the senate right now yeah yeah definitely. but um not this podcast so, i mean that's that role for sure but that's just one of those deals to where like i said it was it was expected but it's not going away i just wanted to update the people for it um yeah and then just kind of i mean we will be discussing it later on i am going to be providing some information whatever comes about when things do start coming back up it's going to take some call to action a little bit of twisting some arms by some constituents to let people know that, hey um there are areas that mean a lot to me that have relied on funding for from the land and water conservation fund for them to be made possible. And I'd like for you to fully fund it instead of keep diverting this money to wherever it gets diverted to. So, yeah, but yeah, between that though, I mean, and then 
with the, the the silver lining that I do call small game season though it uh it makes it all better like I'm, I I look forward to squirrels all year long yeah man. and <laughs> you do develop tips and tricks along the way like killing a squirrel like you said there's one of that one random one you find on the side of a tree killing a squirrel solo I don't care what anybody says it's tough yeah, um, they move around. They do move around. Teaches you patience. It really does. Oh, and, and, my and best friend patterns. squirrel hunting is a stick. Really? Because when, when he runs around on the other side of the tree, I'll find a stick or a rock that's close to me and throw it onto the other go. side that he's on. And I, I typically, I try to skip it so it makes multiple bounces across the ground. He thinks somebody's walking around there. Then he comes back around to my side of the tree. There you so, go. Little hunting tip from Chuck there. Yeah, a little, yeah, for sure. And I, I, it, it works. The four I killed, three of them fell to the stick trick. Heck yeah. I'm down with that. I'm going to use that next time. So. We like to feature your success in outdoor adventures. So shoot the picks over to us with a brief story. Route16.com and select contact. That's R-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com and select contact. Hey, this is Nikki G, and uh, I've got a fishing question again this week. Uh, more it pertains more to to the bait. Uh, I've always dug up some earthworms, and, and it got me thinking: what other planet worms are acceptable? You know, I use earthworms, but are Saturn worms acceptable? And uh, what do you catch with that? What about Mars worms or Venus worms? Who, who knows? All right, guys, uh, keep up the good work, and I'll chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. Nikki G., I really appreciate the call. You keep it interesting. I don't know, Chuck. What do you think, man? Call the park ranger? <laughs> For sure. I don't know if I'd be messing with any uh, alien worms. Uh, no kidding. Imagine how big they might be. <laughs> that Nikki G., man, he's a character. I do appreciate his phone calls, though. Want to be on the show? Maybe share with us some interesting hunting, fishing, overlanding, wheeling, or adventuring news, then give us a call on the Route 16 hotline at 919-694-3356, and maybe you will be on our next show. Well, we told you that we had an exclusive guest for the From the Field segment. And well, I'm just going to let this guest do their own intro. Guest, tell us who you are. What's up? It's Brian from Route 16. Yes. <laughs> so Brian was just out and about doing a little bit of public land deer hunting uh, here in North Carolina. Anybody that follows us on Instagram, follows the Route 16 page on Instagram, they, they probably saw a couple little snippets of Brian's adventures. And... um this was something that I wanted to discuss uh, with Brian. Uh, we were able to kind of fast forward this a little bit due to some technical difficulties on another interview, which either way, this is still perfect because he's out in the field and he, he realistically, for all intents and purposes, Brian's a new hunter um, and he's out getting it done, which is something that I think is awesome. So I want to talk to him about it. So I guess first, Brian, let me... Uh, how how did this hunt came about? I don't I don't want any locations or anything. We're not giving anything away. 
but just like t- tell us about how the hunt came about you getting out there. Was it with a buddy of yours? What, what was the deal with it? So I think the big thing was trying to expose myself to areas I'm not familiar with as well as uh, getting that full experience with a game land. Uh, so I looked, went online, you know, just like we tell our listeners, go on to the, uh, um, your local uh, pay, state page. And so I went on there, looked at game lands and, uh, found something that's, you know, doable. You know, it was only a few, like probably less than an hour away. I think it was just under an hour. And, um, that wave, I knew I could look at time and hey, if I was able to get something, I could, you know, get it processed, get it where I need to go. So I didn't have to worry about a big distance type of thing. Um, and I really looked at the territory of, okay, what else is there? It's not just, I was looking at deer, obviously it was still deer season, but there's also potential for pig in that area and coyote. And the cool thing about that game lang tag too, was like for pigs, you could take as many pig in one day that you can, you know, you have ammo for, I guess. Uh, the uh, So there's no limit on that. And then it also was challenging because it had like some lakes, ponds, if you will, that were in there. And it just looked like something that would be really good to, if anything, to walk the ground and get familiar with and see if like if it didn't really pan out that day, I could look at maybe next year and plan it out. So I was really excited about getting out there. My friend, unfortunately, couldn't make it. He had something that kind of came up last minute, but I still went out there and it was an extremely, it was really an enjoyable day. Right. Now, now was this a permit hunt or was this just general hunt? It was like- uh, eight bucks uh, to go out in that one area. Um, and it actually was surprised me because, uh, it, you know, kind of, it was not that far from a main road. And mm-hmm. when you see it on a map, obviously, and I, and I know this, like you just get that different feeling. Like I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be probably really wooded. It looked on in the, the Google map, but when you're walking into the game land, it literally, you know, people can see you sitting there packing in with all your stuff, right. your rifle. And oh, so yeah. that was a little bit, you know, kind of unusual, uh, for me a little bit, but I had to take note where the road was. Uh, cause like right when I, right when I went in, I shared with you, and I share with the uh, followers of on Instagram and, and all the social media soon, like literally within, it's so funny. We were talking about that, that one show, uh, literally within 10 seconds, I walked in game land, boom, six pointer right there, right. white flash. It, there was no way I was going to get a shot. I wasn't, I wasn't even in the mindset and that's my fault. Uh, but also too, is the distance between where I was and the road. That's a factor. And then the road yeah. actually curves. So even if I had the appropriate distance away from the road, I still, I do not think I could have, if at that position, there's no way I could have taken a shot safely. Mm-hmm. Um, if it would have had a through and through, it, you know, would have went into the road. So there's all those type of factors I really had to look in. But knowing that now, I would change where I park and my approach into the game land. So that wouldn't be an issue. Right. Well, and I, and I think that that's that right there. That's perfect way to like, I mean, there are things that are going to come up that you just don't, you don't even think about, you know? And now like with this experience, you've been in there and you're like, huh, I would have never thought me parking there would be an issue, but I would switch it up next time in. And I think that's just one of those deals. That's one of those, I mean, just getting out. I mean, yes. granted you weren't quote unquote successful, meaning you didn't drop a, deer 
but you still were in my, in my mind, you were successful because you were out in the field and, and you learned something. Oh yeah. And you know, and you know, I spent probably a good two hours walking that ground. Um, I found so many different deer trails. Uh, it, you know, it just, it reminded me a lot of being in the military too, in the aspect that you're all, you're going to find just great things in the crappiest spots and these deer trails, like the stickers and the thorns and all that stuff. Those were the best lines. And like I share too, as I'm walking out and I probably shouldn't talk about that yet, but I will. But as I'm walking out, I, I walk right into like an eight pointer. This thing easily is over three years old. And again, it was right by the road. And the cool thing was, and this would have been a great probably hunt to use an AR platform or even a mm-hmm. bow. To be honest with you, this would probably been a better bow hunt because when you're walking into game land or walking out, there's like a, a rise. Okay. And then right. it goes straight down kind of like a culvert and then into the pond. So that mm-hmm. deer is channeled for whatever reason. There's, there's food there. Um, something there that they enjoy and to, to walk into, uh, two bucks within six hours apart. And the first one already told on me kind of thing. I was pretty, I was not expecting to see that. Like I figured after that first buck saw me, I was like, well, there went the day, uh, because it's not necessarily a huge, it's like over a hundred acres, but still some of it is very challenging to penetrate into, um, because oh, yeah. it was real wet and swampy. So it's like, you really got to realize that. But I was totally amazed by that. And, you know, maybe next time I go, it's it's going to be probably an AR platform or even a bow. Uh, so right. understanding that ter- territory, I absolutely would have had a better shot with a bow. I could have probably turned my rifle at a 308 with me, a short barrel 308, uh, Remington 700 that I took out there. And I could have probably turned and I could have probably shot that buck. Uh, no doubt it was literally, you know, less than a stone throw, stone's throw away from me. The right. problem is I don't know if I would have done, had a clean shot. And that's the only reason I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the fact that I ran into it. Um, it was my call on that. I, there's no doubt I could have wounded it. It's just not how I want it to harvest a deer. I, I want it to be a ethical shot um, and a, a good yeah, kill. for sure. And it just – so I'm like, you know what? He wins today. But I want to thank the last hunter. <laughs> so I'm looking all around for tree stands. And, and in my mind – I hear your voice. Hey, man, you got to get in that stand, dude. You got to get in that stand. Yep. Well, someone out on the uh, – let me think. Let me orient myself. It was like probably the southeast corner. Um, they actually had probably a tree stand that went up about 25 feet, and they cleared mm-hmm. all the branches. So right. it was so easy to get elevated, and you had a very good vantage point in two straight lanes. So there was a – like I could look right down this corridor between like uh, the pond – the bunch of vegetation, uh, a big clearing, and then into another more vegetation to swamp. So you could see where deer could get channeled into there. And then there was another one. That one was off limits just because the shot would have taken it to the road. So or better orientation. And I think next time too, I would probably set something up uh, deeper toward the swampy area and over because right. one goes looking to the hill and i know for a fact right. just by the trails the deer were coming down and off the the crest uh into mm-hmm. uh, different areas so yeah i, I yeah. learned a lot out there that day that's for sure well and that's a good point to bring up with the swamps and stuff that's where deer are going to head to thicker cover to swampier areas to where it's a little bit more difficult to get to and uh that's cool that you were able to find the trails coming off some ridges and whatnot and and 
with some cover there, that's pr- that's probably where I would end up going. But I mean, realistically, you're you're taking the right approach to it to to get out and to learn a property. Me, I'm guilty of kind of bouncing around or or not necessarily spending time enough time on um, a piece of property to where to really learn it, um, which is super vital in success. But see, I'm fortunate to where I've got a chunk of private land that I hunt that I do know really well. So when I get out on public land, more or less, I'm just like goofing off. Uh, right, it's right. something different and it's something to walk around on. And, um, so, uh, I mean, and I still hunt it a lot, which just essentially is just walking real slowly through the woods. Uh, and I'm kind of speed scouting as I go, but yeah, no getting out and learning it and kind of figuring out what those deers do. That's, I mean, that's the way to do it. And that's, and you should focus on areas like that. One thing, well, really, you brought up tree stand, and I'm, I was planning on talking about that anyway. So I know you were kind of, I don't know if you're kind of apprehensive about the tree stands or whatnot, if that's the right way to put I, it, I'm but what did you think? I'm still not a lover of it. I'm doing it because, you know, I, I know yeah. out here it's the, the way that people kind of hunt. Uh, I'm still, like, it's only the second time I, I sat in a stand, but I did sit in a while, so you've been proud of me. I glassed a lot. Right. Well, it's just, it's, I mean, really it's, it is in those thicker areas when it's some open hardwoods, especially like say, if you're looking down on like a Creek bottom to where there's a funnel coming through and it's a little bit more open, you can sit on the ground and not have any issues. But when you get into thickets, um, realistically you, you need that elevated perch just to give you a little bit more reaction time. You get to see deer coming from a little bit further away. You get a little bit better of a vantage point and it just buys you more than anything. Well, like we discussed before, it buys you a little leadway and movement and stuff, but it also buys you just a little bit more time and you can see it coming from a little bit further away. So you can be better prepared. And like you'd mentioned, you get to make that ethical shot and you can, you can evaluate the situation a little bit better instead of just reacting and then going, Oh, well maybe I, like you didn't have a choice but to react quickly, but then maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Right. Makes a- sense. Yep, absolutely. So. And uh yeah, I mean it's just I think too it comes down to I, I wasn't a desperate hunter. I didn't have the, the exactly the need to say, Oh, I, I have to be successful, I have to and so there was a, a, a lot of things with that. And again, it, you know, someone else might have made the right call, a, a different call, I wouldn't say it's the right call, but a different call and, and been able to to harvest that. it just wasn't something that I felt I needed to do at that moment. I, I do. I know you're not always going to have the perfect shot, but I didn't have a lot of conditions uh, that I felt would, there was too many things that could have went wrong versus right uh, there. And then on top of it, I still was not, I, I wasn't sure how close I was to the road because uh, I know right. there is a regulation. I think like what a, a hundred yards, I, I can't remember what it is, but it's not that long of a distance and the road is kind of right there. So I would have had to take a shot where somebody could have easily been driving by, see me and, you know, and I just right. didn't know the right distance. So I definitely need to mark off the distance of what point from the road is that line, that boundary yep. uh, that I can go ahead and look at the terrain and say, okay, as long as I'm on this side of this, you know, feature, I I'm probably good to go. Yeah. Um, so and I, and I think that's, that's, that's another great point is, uh, be, be familiar with the laws when you go in. And that's, that's good that you were aware. And I, I got a feeling that most, most people are going to be, especially newer hunters are going to be more aware. I feel like than um, well, I guess veteran hunters, I think a lot of times some veteran hunters sometimes can get complacent and sometimes laws change and you don't realize it and things like that. But 
either way, man, um, sounds like a great time. One thing I do want to circle back on too, though, is you said that it cost you $8. Yep. So now you paid $8 and, and essentially when you paid your eight bucks, you got a permit. Right. And that's for that particular game Correct. plan. It's good for all year. Now, some are you right. depending on how you hunt or which which game land you go to. Some are for a period of time. Like I have a mm-hmm. permit to go to a game land, uh, like late next week, but it's only good for three days. So mm-hmm. for hunt pig and whatever. Uh, but this one is good all year, so I can go back out there. The good thing about that is I can go out there and walk around and you know do if I, I'm able to pull up a pig, great. But I can keep educating myself for next year's hunt. So when deer season rolls out right. again, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Right. Oh yeah. And and so and and kind of what you're what you're talking about. You paid your eight dollars. You got a permit. It's good for the whole year. And with your other hunt, it's very specific to a, th- a certain three day period. And then you've got game lands in North Carolina where you don't have to pay anything. You just yep. go out and hunt. Yep. Now all this is all this is shown on the NC Wildlife website. And so if you, if you want to go out and, and hunt in these game lands, you've got all these like different opportunities on how to go about it to where you've got your, your, your pay permit where it's, it, I, I call it a general permit. You pay your $8. They give you your permit at time of transaction. And then you have your, I guess, lottery permits or draw permits where you pay your $8. Your name is entered into a hat. And essentially you have an opportunity to be drawn for uh, a certain hunt, like what you're talking about with the hog hunt. Right. And the, those opportunities really can get you in some prime areas with little competition. That's one. And those are kind of the hunts that I recommend for folks that are looking for somewhere to take youth or people that are looking to get out and deer hunt, but they don't want to go out and have all this competition because the competition can be, just in general can be intimidating. Yeah. And you know, it, more bodies move it around. Like, you know, it, it just, again, the, the game moves someplace. It ain't going to stay there just because a bunch of guys are there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and that was one thing, like when you mentioned with the eight bucks, I don't want everybody thinking that it's $8. There's kind of a, there's a, there's a three, essentially three different systems for game lands in North Carolina. <coughs> Excuse me. So I wanted everybody to be aware that's interested. And and a lot of states are like this. Um, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, all all over the United States, the opportunities vary from just essentially like over-the-counter tags, uh, permit opportunities on certain lands, lottery opportunities and things. So it's something that you need to look into. And you can really like narrow down your focus on the type of hunt that you want to get involved in. I know next year I'm putting in um, – for some pig hunts, just like what you did. I'm going to be putting in for some duck hunts and things. So, uh, it really is a way to get out and, and, and takes a little bit of the pressure off of you by getting in on these permits. If you get drawn and it really, you can set aside a block of time then, Hey, I know I'm, I'm really limited on time. I've got drew for this four day deer hunt. This is what I'm going to focus on. This is when I'm going to go. So then you can really like narrow down and try to concentrate and maximize like those four days. So, right, right awesome well good deal man um so i'm glad you got out sound sounds like a blast i hope i hope other people reach out to you and they're like hey man how to how can you get involved reach out to me what, what not but um yeah it's cool to from the 
from how you've gotten involved with these seminars and everything to kind of taking it upon yourself to want to get out and do it, man. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, like Chuck said, if you if you're interested, definitely reach out to me. It is super easy, and the it's it's easy to navigate. There's plenty of dates. It's it's not it's not like hey, you only have a small period of time with certain ones that are lotto draw, like Turkey. Uh, uh, some of these game lands have Turkey, and there's certain periods of time. There's plenty of opportunities out there. And the great thing, like, you know, Chuck said, like, you know, you don't have as much competition that you have to deal with, but it was great. It was fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, doing more. Good deal, man, for sure. Since 1989, Tuffy Security Products has been the industry leader in automotive security. Tuffy has a variety of vehicle-specific consoles, drawers, and lockboxes. Tuffy manufacturers adventure-ready organization and security for your Jeep, truck, or SUV. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Go Adventure! All right, welcome to our first Go Adventure segment. And to kickstart this segment off, we have a fantastic guest in Overland Extraordinaire, a YouTuber, Sir William Go. Sir William, welcome to the Route 16 Grind, brother. What's happening? How are you? Hey, good. Hey, thanks a lot for jumping on this. I know we just spoke real briefly today, and you, you jumped on, and I really appreciate it. I've been meaning to reach out to you, and uh, yeah, glad you're here. Uh, so you and I first met at an intro to Overland event at the garage shop here in North Carolina. You were one of the main speakers that folks like myself could just walk up to and pick your brain about Overland. And I think you have a great story, and I appreciate you making the time tonight to share that story more. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Will. I'm in South Carolina right now. I always tell people I'm from the southeast because I travel around a good bit here. Um, but yeah, I got into this overlanding thing, probably it first started back in 2011 and the way that I got into it, much like many folks probably got into it is I was actually, I just kind of liked the way that the builds looked. And, uh, so I, I just knew that if I used the search term overland builds, then I could come up with some pretty cool looking, uh, expedition type vehicle builds. And then from there, it just uh, it just kind of snowballed, and now it's turned into a pretty expensive, uh, time-consuming hobby. Yeah, yeah, definitely on the expense thing. You know, I always joke around. Uh, so when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I had a uh, XJ, so a Jeep Cherokee. And when this whole Overland thing kicked off, I was like, man, I was kind of doing all that before it was even really a thing. I used to go out. I would literally live in that Jeep and travel all around places. I would you know create my vehicle to where i could essentially live out of and drive around and and enjoy and, and be comfortable and so when overlanding came out to be i was like man i was onto something didn't even know it <laughs> so it's pretty cool yeah but i like oh go ahead i'm sorry no i was, I was gonna say you know uh years ago uh there was a time in my life where i wasn't as fortunate as i am now and i lived in the back seat of a dodge neon for about six months and uh, I always tell people that was the very first Overland experience. <laughs> hey, right on, man. You learned a lot from that, I'm sure. So what what is your rig? What's your rig? So I've got a 2015 Toyota 4Runner. It is the um, Trail uh, Edition. And back then, uh, they called it Trail Edition or Trail. Uh, but now they call that a TRD Off-Road. And mine is the Trail premium which is the trd off-road premium now so it's, it's a 2015 forerunner trail premium 
So why did you choose that particular model, uh, or was it just, hey, that's what you had at the moment? Yeah, so in uh, 2011, the, the way that I got uh, kind of experienced with this is I got I was into off-roading via just kind of drinking beers and going and playing on people's property, right? And from there, I started working with Toyota, and I worked in the retail side for Toyota. And with that, I got introduced to off-roading even more so because Toyota's got a really strong heritage in off-roading. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, through that whole deal, uh, I'd, I'd found, you know, a, a guy on, there was a forum called Expedition Portal, and I don't know if anybody follows that, but it's a great forum, and there's a, a part in there of the forums called In Progress Adventures. So back in 2011, I came across this guy, and he had this 2001, like really, no, it might have been even earlier than that, uh, Toyota Tacoma with just a double cab, a cap on the back, and his mountain bike. <clears throat> and he drove this thing all across America. And every day, he would post up pictures in this forum. And I would see these pictures, and it got to the point where, like, every day I'd come to work, I just looked forward to seeing this guy's pictures. And I said, man, you know, one day I'm going to take this trip. And so I started planning the trip from there in 2011. Uh, life got in the way. Uh, fast forward to 2015. In 2015, I lost my grandfather um, Thanksgiving night. Oh, man. And from there, I realized that I had spent the last five to six years basically alienating all of my friends, my family, and, and everything, and all the people around me simply just to chase money and chase the, you know, the, the dollar. Right. Once he passed away, I realized, you know, time is, it, is not infinite, and we really were on this thing for a short amount of time, and we need to make the best of it. So rather than wait to do my trip until the time is right, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to take my trip. And uh, so I had actually, there was a lady that came in and bought a car from me, and uh, I had made the decision after being manager and kind of working my way up in the car sales thing that uh, after that I made the decision that I was just going to go sell cars. And uh, so I did, and I went to go sell cars at a little dealership. And I sold a car to a lady that was looking for a single-cab Toyota truck, like the old two-door low-body trucks. And, you know, I told her, well, they didn't make them anymore. And I said, just out of curiosity, what is it that makes you want this truck? And she said, well, she said, back in the 90s, I took a trip across America in this truck. And all it was was just me and that truck. And I really loved that truck. And I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, I'd love to see pictures because I'm planning on doing a trip similar one day. Right, she right. And showed me pictures of her scrapbook from the 90s with her in this truck doing this trip. And I said, you know, I said, you've inspired me. It was right after my granddad passed away, so I'd already was kind of in a shaky place. And I said, you know, you've inspired me. I'm going to take my trip, and I'm going to take it in 2016. I'm going to take it in September of 2016 so that way I could make it to Cena. Well, then from there, um, it was St. Patrick's Day, which is, uh, what is that, March? Right, yep. So um, I decided that it was going to be a good idea to go out and uh, hot rod my, my uh, motorcycle. And whenever I did, I'd been driving down the same exact road for years and years and years doing 
excessively above the speed limit. Um, except for this time, I did not realize that they had put a traffic circle in the middle of this road. <laughs> oh, man. And sailed right on through it and almost died. <clears throat> and so when I woke up in the hospital, I said, well, I'm taking my trip. As soon as I get out of here, I'm taking my trip. I don't care what happens. It's, you know, it is what it is. Life's too short, and I'm taking my trip. Right. And uh, so I got out of the hospital, and I was driving at the time. I was driving a 2015 or 14 Tundra that I had set up with a full Icon mid-travel suspension, um, and the whole goal was to drive it 90 miles an hour across the desert because I've always loved the long travel Baja guys. Yes, those are pretty sweet. It's nice to watch, too. Oh, yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm going to drive this thing across the desert. Well, the only thing is, is once you set one up like that, you're only getting about seven to nine miles to the gas. Yeah. And I knew that taking a 12,000-mile trip with no job on a truck that is only going to get seven to nine thousand or nine miles to the gallon was going to be, you know, pretty tough. And I said, well, if I got a forerunner, then I could sleep in the back of the forerunner. And, you know, I had never been camping before, ever. So that gave me a little bit more security, too, was the fact that I could just sleep in the back of the forerunner. You know, right. If all else failed. So that's what I did. I went and got the Forerunner, and uh, I knew that I wanted the trail because I was familiar with, you know, the Toyota lineup, and I knew that they had the lock and rear differentials, the manual four-wheel drive, uh, the crawl control features, the A-track features, and all that good stuff. So I knew that I wanted the trail, and uh, so that's what I did. So I got a trail. Yeah, I mean, and I remember when we spoke when I first met you, and I looked at your vehicle, looked at kind of the setup you had at that moment, just like back in 2018. What I liked about your setup is you were very simple in many aspects. You had some some good ticket items, but it wasn't like you had this extravagant setup that required a lot of space, maintenance, and, you know, it, it was very essentially basic. Like your air mattress, for example, it's like, yeah, that's a great idea versus all these other things that you could have in place of that. Yeah, so the very first trip that I took, I had a, uh, a $100 uh, cool air or something, another cooler that is completely worthless. Don't waste your money. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had that. That was going to be my fridge. And I had an air mattress that my mother-in-law was like, hey, we got an air mattress down in the basement. You know, you could, you could grab that and take it with you. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, come to find out, it wasn't an air mattress. It was actually a pool float. Nice. Imagine that. Keep in mind, on my first trip, I had broken ribs, a broken collarbone. Um, I had broke my collarbone a year before on another uh, dirt bike uh, wreck that I had had. Right. Um, and then the second motorcycle wreck that I had basically shattered it, and it, they couldn't put it back together. They were just like, "Hey, look, it, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, at this point, there's nothing we can do about it." Right. Right. So, I had to deal with that, and I had to deal with um, the broken ribs was really the, the, the big kicker. And sleeping on that uninflated <laughs> plastic blanket. <laughs> you know, but the biggest thing was, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to do it with minimal, not only because at the time I really, you know, I was, I was quitting my job, so... I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money. 
Um, and, and I wanted to, and I wanted to do it with as minimal as possible. And I also knew that, you know, ultimately, what are we talking about? We're talking about traveling across America and I haven't been too many places in America that aren't at least 30 or 45 minutes from the nearest dollar general or Walmart. Right. Right. So I knew that if there was any necessities that I had to pick up along the way, then I would have those options available to me. So the idea was to try to pack as little as possible, but also pack just enough. And I ended up packing way over than what I actually needed. Like, I think I bought like a, a, a hundred pack of batteries. Cause I remember you mentioning that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there was a bunch of stuff that I still ended up buying, even though it was an incredibly simple setup. There was a bunch of stuff in there that I ended up bringing with me that was just completely useless. Um, a bag of straps, and the idea was, you know, if I got stuck, then I could strap this thing up some kind of way. <laughs> but yeah, completely worthless. It didn't work. Right, right. Yeah, so what are some things you think you did right? The things that I think that I did right was equipping myself with the minimal amount of things and then just going out there and doing um, and then finding out what I need. So, you know, through the years, I've kind of upgraded my setup a little bit. Uh, I've still kept to the minimalist style. Uh, there's two reasons I do that. One, obviously, is budget, right? Right. And then, two, the other thing is is I get frustrated pretty simply. Of course, as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned to manage this a little bit better, but I, I would get frustrated at just the smallest thing. So my goal was to make sure that I could avoid all frustrations. And I found that the more complex things that you get, the more trinkets that you get, the more of these different things – when they don't work right or you have slight problems with them, when you're on the trail and you're in a heated situation, it's very easy to really get upset and really get aggravated. And I didn't want that to take away from any of the experiences that I would have while I was out there. Yeah. So just keeping it simple is definitely And I, I totally respect that. You know, I've talked to a few people, and I, I kind of look at just my own travels as – you know, I would like to keep the budget more onto the trip, the logistics, the maintenance and all that versus, you know, all the things that I might need. Maybe I, I understand there is an importance for redundancy, you know, as far as like power, light, fire, sure. you know, shelter, all that kind of thing. You know, first aid. I think those things no one can be argumentative about. But there are some things that are just really fluff and, and they're nice. They're cool. And it's like, man, you're absolutely more comfortable than me, probably. But you know what? I'm going to be okay, and I'm taking up less space. It's less weight to drive, less gas to use. So all the economics of it. I, and that's one thing I really took away from talking with you. And you've really thought that out to the sense of keeping the focus, I think, on the trip versus just the personality of what you see in, in the vehicle and all the elements that might come with that. So I really, really right. enjoy that story that you shared there. And you know, far as you the other thing about that too is the whenever you go and you add different things to your vehicle, a lot of people think it's just a one and done deal. Now, being in the automotive world and just kind of being a gearhead and you know fixing up cars and, and adding things to cars and trucks and things throughout the years. I know that, you know, you can't just go and upsize your tires and wheels and just think that everything's going to be right. <laughs> right. 
action, same with anything that you do, you're going to have to do a series of things. And here's the deal. Toyota has spent millions and millions of dollars of research and development on their vehicles. And if you think that you're going to be able to outperform their R&D team, you're just not. You don't have the backing. And, you know, so the, all those other vehicle mods are really nice. But unless you have the money to really do it and do it correctly, there's just no reason to do it. Right, absolutely. I'm glad you shared that. So you shared some uh, hard lessons, but what are some other hard things that you know you learned uh, along the way here? Um, the first hard thing that I learned was air down. Uh, the significance of airing down. Um, I had no, no idea of the significance of airing down. I got stuck uh, three or four times on my first trip out. I got stuck in mud in Oklahoma. I got stuck in the snow up in Utah. I got stuck again in the snow in, in Oregon, which was probably the sketchiest situation I've ever been into. I was stuck on the side of a mountain for two days. There was no signal. There was I was in such a remote area that I didn't even have FM radio signal, which I didn't wow. like that existed in America, but it did. And it's on Wolf Mountain. It's in um, Oregon. And I was thankful because two guys on some four-wheelers came by, and they actually got me unstuck. And they told me, they were like, look, I don't, I don't know, you know, how you got up here or why you're up here, but nobody comes up here this time of year. Um, you know, the one thing, whenever I left South Carolina, it was like 80 or 90 degrees. So, and because it was in April. Right. And so whenever I left, it was 80 or 90 degrees. Well, out west whenever you get above, you know, five or 6,000, you know, feet, it's still snow and ice and everything like that on the ground. So, um, I, and I wasn't prepared for that, you know, being from the Southeast, I don't, I don't have any experience driving in snow or anything like that. So whenever I saw snow for the second time after getting stuck in Utah, I thought that I could just drive faster and, and get through it. Right, right. <laughs> You're lucky, man. <laughs> You're lucky. <laughs> this whole conversation is about how I avoided death. <laughs> Basically, with that, you know, I had already on my on my trip, I had already made the um, I had made two provisions. The first provision was I wanted to make sure that no matter what, I always had three days worth of food and water. Okay. Right. The other, um, the other provision I made after I got stuck there was uh, with my family and friends that I was keeping tabs with if they hadn't heard from me in 48 to 72 hours. So depending on where I'm at, at in the country, I still have that same rule. If, you know, I went to Death Valley in March and explored Death Valley, and there was parts of Death Valley that I changed that and, and reached out to my folks and said, look, if you haven't heard from me in 48 hours – then there's a problem. Right, right. And and I came up with that rule after being stuck on the side of the mountain because if you watch the videos where I'm stuck, I'm like, look, you know, not only am I out here, but, you know, if, if somebody were to send a, a rescue team for me, they wouldn't know where I was at or, you know, and, and my wife, I love her to death. She, we've been together for 17 years. And that being said, she, you know, she was cool with me doing the trip or whatever, but she didn't really care. It's not her thing, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. For her to send somebody out, she would just be like, well, shit, I don't know where he's at. He's, you know, somewhere in Oregon, 
you know, and nor did she really care where I was at. It was just, at that point, it was more so of, uh, well, why hadn't he called type thing? You know? Right. So I learned, I learned to make those provisions to where you want to get in touch with your loved ones. You want to make sure that they understand what you're doing. You want to make sure that they understand either, you know, set that rule, that 48-hour, that 72-hour. And then also make sure that you, you understand the terrain that you're going to be driving in. I was totally ill-prepared for snow. I, I, didn't, I didn't even pack a coat whenever I went. <laughs> I, I had zero idea that it was going to be snow. And I just, you know, I just assumed that it would be springtime everywhere. Yeah, I, I think the big thing, too, to summary is just in making a, a, a good plan. We have the same thing, like you go out hunting, uh, you go out hiking. All these things kind of overlap, uh, making sure that there's someone knows what your plan is, where you're going to be. And that happened on my last hunting trip. Uh, I was getting ready to take off, and my wife's like, well, wh where exactly are you going? And I forgot, like, dang, I didn't even share that information with her. So I gave her where I was going, what game land, all that stuff. It, it, it does kind of slip because you're so into your trip or your whatever event you're doing. But that is such a key essential thing. Uh, element that you need to add on into your plan into your checklist because really it's about your safety you want to have a good experience but you know not everything goes perfectly well all the time so having a plan and, and that helps you too when it comes to like hey you know what at least someone knows where i'm at you know, you you have that going in if you find yourself into a place where you have to shelter in place so it kind of helps your psychology a little bit too yeah, and for the listeners, because you and I both know the first trip that I took, but the listeners don't. So the first trip that I took was the Trans-America Trail, which if you're unfamiliar with it, it, is, uh, it it's probably 70 to 80% off-road, depending on who you talk to. Um, it's essentially from one coast to the other. I started in Andrews, North Carolina, because I've grown up on the East Coast my entire life. I'm familiar with the East Coast. So I started in the mountains and went over to Port Orford, Oregon. Um, the trail itself is 5,000 miles, and it utilizes logging roads, forest service roads, jeep trails, and just kind of a combination of the back roads all throughout America. It's the best way that, uh, that I could recommend anybody to see any and all of America. It's, it's a tremendous trail. Um, you can get the maps there from uh, Transamerica Trail Online if you just, like, Google it. There's two guys that have maps. There's one guy named Sam. There's another guy named something. But uh, <laughs> the guy, Sam, Sam is the creator of the original Transamerica Trail. And the maps are not cheap. They're about $100 or $120 or something if you buy the entire setup. Um, but it's a tremendous way to support the guy. This guy's spent his heart and soul to create these maps. Um, and share with us this awesome route to get across America. And it really is something to experience. Now, I've done it twice now, so I'm good. I, I don't need to do it again because it is an extremely long trail. Absolutely, um, yeah. The first time it took me 21 days, and I think the second time it took me around 20 days as well. Granted, I kind of diversed off of the trail a little bit. I played around in Moab um, the first time. The second time we played around in Moab and went up the Yellowstone. So you can kind of work your own trip off of it. But um, but it's a fantastic trip, man. And so that's the first trip that I took was the Transamerica Trail. Yeah, and you mentioned Sam. And I didn't he do those maps initially off of a motorcycle? Like he actually drove it? Yeah. Yeah, so the way that I found it, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. So when I sold, um, Kate was the lady's name, that I sold her the truck, and she showed me, and she inspired me to take my trip that year. 
Um, from there, I had been offered another management position at a different dealership, and I told the guy I didn't want it, and he offered me uh, a deal that I couldn't refuse. And the re reason I didn't want it is because it was management, and I didn't want to do management anymore. I just wanted to sell cars. <laughs> Keep it simple. And yeah. But he offered, it was at a Jaguar Land Rover dealership, and part of the sweet offer that he gave me was I got to drive around in a Jaguar F-Type for my demo. It was a F-Type S, which was a supercharged 5-liter V8 two-door aluminum car, which is absolutely phenomenal. I'm sure you drove the speed limit all the time in that, too. Well, I ended up trading it in because I'd, I'd raced a guy that was in a Hemi, and when the cop pulled us over, he had no idea because I beat the guy so bad that he had no idea that we were even racing. So I traded it in for, for a Land Rover in order to, to save my license. <laughs> Working for Land Rover, I actually learned two things. One, I learned um, Land Rover did a deal with Jay Leno's Garage where they actually ran Sam's Trail. And uh, so I had learned about the Transamerica Trail before and knew about it, um, but I thought that it was only for dirt bikes. I thought that it was only for dual sports. Right. Uh, so I saw this thing on um, on Land Rover uh, that they had did with Jay Leno, uh, or on Jay Leno's garage rather, where they had traveled it in a in a team of Land Rovers. And I said, well, wow, if they can do it in Land Rovers, I know I can do it in Forerunner. And uh, so it, I'd reached out to Sam, and whenever I talked to Sam, he was like, yeah. He said, uh, he said I've ran it in my Tahoe before. And I said, oh, okay, well, good. If you can run it in your Tahoe, then I know I can make it in Forerunner. So that's how I figured out that I could take the Transamerica Trail in a four-wheel drive vehicle. And the other thing that I learned working at Land Rover is if you ever have a chance to visit the Land Rover Driving School, um, they'll actually, one of the key things and key principles that they tell you when driving off-road is if you're going slow, you're driving too fast. Right, low and slow. Yeah, that piece of knowledge I've kept with me pretty much every trail that I get myself into. And what I've found is by keeping that with me, I've, I've noticed that I can put my forerunner in places that a lot of people can't really go. And the reason is, is because I slowly right. pick out lines and I slowly calculate where I'm going. Whereas, you know, send it Sam will go out there just full throttle and tearing stuff stuff up and you know breaking axles and doing these things and and you know it's just kind of a it, just a slow and steady type crawl and and you know and, and that was one of the key things i took away from uh from land rover and then from there is when i took my trip so i know you're big and tread lightly you know, what about some things that you can pass on our listeners about that now you mentioned some things already but yeah you know, for tread lightly specifically what are some things you can share yeah, so a lot of times, you know, when this topic comes up about tread lightly, a lot of people just think that, you know, that means, oh, okay, we'll stay on the trail and don't go off trail and do that and, and things like that. And there's a little bit more to it. And I think the biggest misconception out there is that, you know, I guess not really a misconception. Basically, what you find is, for instance, I don't, I don't participate in a lot of large group rides. And one of the reasons that I don't participate in a lot of large group rides is because, quite honestly, I don't feel that, well, one is the time. I don't know if you've ever been out with 10 or more people. But oh, I have. 
it gets aggravating pretty quickly, especially if you get a YouTuber in the bunch, right? Like myself. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, so there's that. But the other thing is, is it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous wear and tear on the actual trail itself. So I'd use one trail in the southeast, for example, a lot is. Hurricane Creek. I've been going to Hurricane Creek. This is where I kind of broke my teeth in Overland, and this is where it was one of the first places that I just went and got lost in a truck and and just fell in love with the idea of driving through Forest Service roads and seeing all the cool stuff and things like that. And that trail now, compared to what it was ten years ago, is a completely different trail. Ten years ago, I took a stock Toyota Tacoma through it with no problems, no issues. And it was good to go. Now it's considered to be a technical trail for my forerunner with a short, a shorter wheelbase than the Tacoma had. Right. The reason is, is because people have come through there with their big group rides and different things like that, and they've just kind of worn it down. So here's the deal: if you've got a path from your truck to your car, or from your uh, from your truck to your house, and you want that same exact path every single day, then it's going to end up wearing down. Now, if you've got 500 people that come and walk that same exact path, it's going to wear down a whole lot quicker and a whole lot worse. Well, that's what happens whenever folks get together on these big, huge trail rides. But the other thing that's more importantly and what's more detrimental is they get up and they come to these muddy patches in the trail and they want to, you know, haul ass through them and spin their tires and they got big 40 inch tires and big mud grappling tires and they're just tearing up the land and and stuff like that and again going back to not only is that hard on your equipment which ultimately whenever we're talking about overlanding we're talking about equipment that has to last us for each trip i've done is over ten thousand miles right right so we're talking about equipment that's got to last us the entire trip so it's hard on your equipment but it's even harder on the on the actual trail itself so it's tearing up the trail and you know, I've, I've been in a discussion today, as a matter of fact, with somebody that just didn't see the problem that I had with it. Well, the problem that I have with it is, more importantly, does does it tear up the trail? But more importantly, it, you know, folks take these pictures and these videos of you blasting through the mud puddles and tearing up these trails. And then they go sit inside of a board meeting somewhere and they present these to a whole bunch of people and they say, look, this is the reason that we need to shut down this trail. Not only are they coming in and they're leaving their trash all over the place, but this is how they're treating the land. Then what happens is those same people will oftentimes come in and they'll make illegal bypasses. So you might have rutted it out now with your 40-inch tires. Well, now somebody, in order to avoid those big 40-inch tire ruts because maybe they're in a stock vehicle, they've now created some kind of a bypass that's an illegal bypass. Well, that tears up the land around it. And what happens is it causes erosion and causes the runoff to go into the streams and it affects the fish population. And it's just like a whole wide array of the snowball effect of the different BS that we have to deal with. And the fact of the matter is, is there's a tremendous amount of groups with a tremendous amount of money that are aiming at four-wheel drive enthusiasts, uh, people with ATVs and and UTVs and Jeeps in particular, or not Jeeps per se, but, you know, just off-road vehicles like what we have, and they don't want these vehicles being used on these public lands. And the evidence that they have against us is very easy to find whenever you get groups of people that go out and they do these things on our public lands. 
you know, if you want to go out and you want to tear your stuff up and do all that, stick to the private ORV clubs. You know, stick in, um, you know, in, in South Carolina we have gulches. That's a private right. ORV. You can go up there and you can rock bounce and you can do all kinds of stuff if you want to. But these places specifically put obstacles in the way for you to, uh, for you to navigate. You know, they're not out there creating obstacles in the public lands. The other thing is, is oftentimes these public lands and public trails, we consider them to be trails. Some people consider them to be the road to their house. You know what I mean? That's a very, very good point you have right there. You're right. Yeah. So we're tearing up their driveway and you wouldn't want somebody to come tear up your driveway, you know? So so that's the biggest thing is just, you don't... you don't have to go through their full throttle and tearing it up and, and rutting it up and all of that. And I mean, you know, I get it. It looks cool. I, you know, I've, I've been the guy that has gone through there and done donuts and, and done stuff like that on private property. And, it, and you're right. It's fun. It's cool. But on public lands, don't do it. It's just bottom line. Just don't do it. And that's what, that's what we all need to teach. The other thing we need to teach is whenever you see something, say something. You know, if you see a guy out there being, you know, some kind of way on public lands, let them know, hey, look, it's not acceptable and it's not cool. Yeah, and, you know, there's a there's a few other things with that. Uh, the domino effect that the public land isn't just for off-roading. There are a lot of other outdoor activities that are that people participate in, mountain biking, hiking, hunting, fishing, whatever the case may be, you know, geocaching, uh, that people enjoy if that – area is shut down it doesn't shut down just for one specific group it shuts down for all the groups uh, so that's one thing the other thing is i know out here uh, in the yawari area where i go and visit a lot and you know you're very familiar with that area there just seems to be a lot of uh delay in the management and care for that specific public land and so a lot of groups to themselves take to it i think i know right now within yawari um, I just read an off-road uh, leaders post tonight that they're looking to have trails sponsored direct have have clubs sponsor trails independently. So, you know, this group A could sponsor you know Dickie Bell. Group B could you know have Dutch John, whatever the case may be, and care for that specific trail and, and put kind of the, your skin in the game and invest in that. Because I, I tell you, there's a lot of – if it wasn't for the volunteer workout in Uwari, I think a lot of things would have already been closed or shut down, whatever. There's a tremendous amount of work that is done out there. What's that? Say it again. I said, really, that's, a, that's across the nation. You know, at one time back in um, – uh, it, it went too long ago, Joshua Tree became a hot topic. Uh, Joshua Tree National. Oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that area. Yeah, and it became a really hot topic for um, for basically for people to to bash on the off road and the overland and and just the whole ATV UTV community. And the reason was is because supposedly Joshua Tree had a tremendous amount of trash. Yeah, there was a lot of trash out there, man. Yeah. Yeah, I've traveled from the east coast to the west coast. There's no difference anywhere. It's trashy everywhere. People trash it, and and it's and we as a as a country do not treat public lands the way that we should, and it's truly unfortunate. And that's the reason that these places get shut down. But in the discussion with somebody at one time, um, I had brought up the point 
um, or I had tried to bring up the point, and I tried to do my best to always fact check stuff before I either share it or say it, and, and it's real easy to get on a slippery slope with that, especially with social media now. Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to do was somebody had said, well, you know, they get funding in order to go in and, and take care of these public lands. And, and, you know, and I'm right there with you. They do. They, they, they take some of our tax money. They do get funding to take care of our public lands. Well, I looked, and I looked pretty deeply. Now, I didn't spend hours looking, but I, I spent a good amount of time looking for the amount that the Forest Service Commission comes, like, gets yearly in order to – um, in order to take care of our lands in, in this area, in the southeast area. And the only number that I ever found was somewhere around thirty dollars or $40,000. Now, I'm sure that it's a whole lot more than that, but I'm sure that it's just a small fraction of a number compared to the overall budget. And quite honestly, it's not their job to pick up after us, right? Absolutely. Yes, you know. Keeping the trails up to date, throwing some gravel down, maybe, you know, redirecting the water flow or not the water flow, but like the trees when they fall down, different stuff like that. But also at the same time, I feel that it's our part. If we're going to be out there, if it is indeed public land and everybody's real quick to say, oh, this is our land. You're right. It is our land. Take care of it. You need to tend to it just the same exact way that everybody else tends to it. You know, if I come to your house, I'm not going to dirty up all your dishes and just leave them sitting around on your coffee table. I'm not going to throw trash down in your living room or in your yard. So don't do that with the public land, you know. And if you if you see some improvements that could be made, maybe you could report those improvements that need to be made. Or maybe you could just, you know, make the improvements. Right, organize a volunteer day, work with the service. Yeah, there, there's a lot of delayed grants for, you know, caring, caretaking uh, a lot of public land areas. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's not as easy. It's not like it's just this funnel of money that magically appears. There's a lot of things tied to it. And then it's the contracting. The way government works with contracting is ridiculous. So it, it's, it's not an easy process just to go and make the intermittent trail that you have access to for the campsite. Uh, more bearable for because it's not just the off-road vehicles. I mean, it could be somebody in a station wagon taking their family out for just a weekend camping trip. But you know, you, you were mentioned out before. You know, everything's all rutted up because people are hauling butt with their big tires down the road and you know doing the things that you know instead of you know taking care of the road and, and whatnot. That's the one things I think about too. Like you know, I'm fortunate I have an off-road vehicle, but I see these guys in like these you know four-door sedans try and go to a campsite and there's these big old potholes and whatnot that yeah so it doesn't make it enjoyable and, and and you know they might not come back and you that that is you know something that i would hope that more people would enjoy and, and have the opportunity to because that is somebody's disneyland trip yeah and you know and i like um i'm, I'm right there with everybody else i like a little bit of a challenge in in my off-road trails and you know i used to go along the lines of well just let it be just just let the let the trail be don't maintain it and just you know whatever it turns into it turns into and we'll just have to figure out a way to navigate it well the problem is is whenever you do that you get you know with the power of social media that we have nowadays you used to be able to keep uh, I don't want to call them secret spots but you used to be able to kind of keep a handful of spots to yourself and not really 
have to worry about a bunch of people sharing those spots or seeing those spots or coming to those spots. And with the power of social media now, it you're silly to think that you're going to keep these spots secret. So I think more importantly, what we should focus on is, hey, look, this is how you should treat the spots. And quite honestly, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, whenever they're hauling ass through these mud puddles or, you know, tearing up the or rutting up the land or spinning up their tires through the mud and stuff, they don't really realize the damage that they're doing. So rather than, you know, blasting them and, you know, being, you know, very, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word would be there, uh, what do you call it when you're real aggressive with somebody, you know, rather than being like that, just talk to them and just have a conversation with them. Like, Hey, look, these are the, these are the consequences of what happens whenever you go through and you tear it up. You know, this is, this is what happens. And that's where I try to, that's what I try to do. Um, you know, with the little bit of a following that I do have, I try to preach that, you know, uh, take care of the land. Um, tell everybody else to take care of the land and really spread that message because we're not keeping these spots secrets. And the Forest Service Recommission, I mean, you got it broke down. Like you talked about, you already, I don't know what district that is in the, uh, in the national forest there, but it, that whole national forest, or not that national forest, but on the, the to the left of it on the map, you, you know, you got Cherokee National Forest, you got Pisgah National Forest. Yep. Um, and these areas are these are expansive areas. I mean, these are huge areas and you're talking about a, a set of, I don't know how many people they probably have work in these areas, but it's not nearly enough. It's ran by the federal government. It's not efficient. You know, it's not the, the bureaucracy involved in it is, is crazy. So we, we have to do our part in order to try to keep these lands open for us. And we have to understand that there are groups of people that are consistently trying to get us kicked off of these lands. Right. And I, I, I like what you kind of approach it. And, you know, something that I kind of do is just trying to open up someone's aperture. Uh, one thing like with this podcast, one thing that I like with what, what I try and do with the Route 16 brand is, get people to communicate like we're, we're probably not going to share a lot of things in, in common but there are some things we do have in common let's focus on those and establish communication and learn from each other and these are things that we can actually share with each other like because i've done all those stupid things i'm not going to sit here and say that you know when i was in my 20s i when i off-roaded my 20s i was entirely different than how i off-road now I was an idiot in my 20s. I did some things. I put myself in situations that I'm still blown away that I even thought that that was something that was, you know, fun or whatever. It was pretty dumb. Um, but now I, I look back and, and I'm able to learn from that and open up that aperture and realize just what we're talking about tonight is this is with the public land. This is for everyone to share and we're caretakers and we need to care for it. Like plain and simple. You see trash, pick it up. And that goes in with hunting. When I went to the game land a couple weeks ago, like, it literally looked like someone just dumped their entire, you know, passenger seat trash uh, off on the side there. And you're picking that up. And, you know, why should I do that? You know, because I want to keep coming back. And you know, am I there to pick up for everybody? No. But, you know, it's just the right thing to do and maybe be an example. And someone can learn from that. Um, these are things that I want to make sure to pass on to, to my kids and, and whatnot. And it, it's a good it's a positive message. So you, no one can tell you that you're wrong. And that's the one thing you can disagree with it. I'm not saying that you have to agree with it, but they can't say that you're wrong. You know, I just want to care so people beyond me can enjoy it. 
it's crazy that I have to pick up after people. I, I think that it's crazy that I have to pick up people. And I also think that, you know, I shouldn't have to pick up after people. But the fact of the matter is, is that if I don't pick after, what happens when, you know, that one, that one person from that one group with that one camera comes through and says, see, I told you. Right. Yep, you, you said it right. So uh, moving on here, man. I mean, hey, that was a great conversation. I think we could probably talk about that stuff all night. Um, but <laughs> what uh, what do you have in store for 2020? Oh, man. Lots. So um, first and foremost is I will actually, and, and this is the, the uh, I don't know when you'll air this, but the, the first time that I've let this out the bag is, I will actually be rebranding the channel. So it's called Sir William Goes right now, but it will be a rebranded channel. Um, and I will kind of shift my focus more so from just overlanding to um, off-road and vehicle-based um, things as a whole. So uh, the closest thing I can compare it to is I grew up watching, as I'm sure many of your listeners did, a, a program on TV called Power Nation. Oh, yeah which is a block of series of shows that came onto your, your Spike TV and years ago it was TNN and it's just a bunch of gearhead shows. And ultimately, you know, I'm a gearhead. Um, I, I like overlanding and camping and all, but mostly I, I like, I'm, I'm anything automotive, anything with the motor, anything with wheels, I'm there. Um, so I really want to showcase a lot of that on the channel, uh, more than just overlanding. Um, I'm still going to stick to, you know, showcasing the overlanding stuff, still going to stick to off-roading and stuff like that because that is what I enjoy to do, but just kind of want to broaden the horizons a little bit. Um, I've got a plan to go full-time. Um, we'll be living in an RV. Um, which will be nice. Myself. Somewhere around March or so, we'll, we'll be moving into that. I'm actually in the process of kind of – um, moving moving away from South Carolina now, and then my wife's going to join me in March sometime. And uh, so we'll be living full-time on the road at that point in time. So that's going to bring a whole different dynamic. Um, however, that will be on a different uh, YouTube channel. So stay tuned for that, um, and I'll kind of figure out the name for that. But uh, the, the following along of the RV should be – uh, should be entertaining in itself because neither one of us has ever done anything remotely like this. That's awesome. If you know anything about RVs, but they're all pieces of junk. They always break. Doesn't matter if you buy one new or you buy one that's 20 years old. They all break. <laughs> you always see someone working on one on the side of the road. That's for sure. Uh, it's unbelievable. So anyway, so that'll add a different dynamic. But um, the big thing is, is I have two weekly web series um, that will be released in 2020 that I'm pretty excited for. Um, I'm in the process of getting these series worked out as far as um, the, uh, the financial, I guess, aspects of it because, you know, none of this stuff gets done for free. Absolutely. Working with uh, partners and trying to figure out the right partners to work with. Um, I'm real particular about who I put my name on or who I kind of back with, and the reason is is because ultimately I do I do feel that I have a responsibility to not only show you guys um, what you know what I believe in, 
Um, but also to kind of remain to my core, which is the minimalist budget style, budget friendly style um, approach to things. So rather than getting hooked up with a bunch of brands that just want to throw a bunch of things on the forerunner, I'd rather hook up with some partners that really understand kind of the, the core of what I believe in and, and what we all should be doing, which is just get out and explore. Right. Absolutely. So with those two weekly web series, one, um, without releasing the names of them, uh, one will be focused on uh, where everybody goes. So, for instance, in the southeast, uh, you're in North Carolina, so you go to URE a lot. A lot of people go to URE. So we might have an episode there at URE just kind of showcasing the URE, showcasing the people, the rides, the, the builds, and things like that. Uh, down in Florida, they go to Ocala National Forest a lot. So I'll go down to Florida and showcase the folks that ride around Ocala. Up in Tennessee, they go to Winrock. Yep. In Georgia, they go to Trey Mountain. Up in Michigan, they go to Upper Peninsula. So I really want to showcase all these places that folks like us get out and enjoy and, um, and have a good time and just explore the outdoors. And I really like meeting the people that I've met. That's one of the best things about what I've done here is, is the people that I've gotten to meet um, through this has just been phenomenal. Uh, the people that are involved in this community are just, it's unbelievable, man. And, and every time I meet new people, I'm just blown away by not only, you know, how nice everybody is, but, you know, the, the sense of community that everybody has. So I really want to focus on that. And, you know, rather than focusing on the, the big Instagram builds and different things, right? what the guy's doing out in his backyard, you know? Yeah, and it's attainable. That's the biggest thing. I love this message, man. It's showing people it's obtainable. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, so, second web series will be it'll be showcasing the the home built rigs. You know, um, the the stuff from CBI and C4 and and SSO and and all these other you know ARB and all that stuff's really cool. It's it's great and they make great products all that good stuff but there's also a bunch of guys that are just out there with a welder that are you know building their own bumpers and doing their own things and doing their own gear swaps and those are the guys that i really like talking to yeah there there are some extremely talented people out there and, and I, I am right along with you uh, when i started route one six and just the amount of people i've met uh, to include yourself and the things i've been exposed to uh, i have benefited so much personally as well as professionally from those and it, it has really helped me to grow in so many different ways uh, because you know certain things you're I, I can tell you that I always think oh man that, that seems a little bit more complex but you, you literally listen to these individuals and the resources they didn't have and they were able to to do and really what it comes down to is one word commitment are you ready to commit to it or are you just thinking about doing it? And that's the one consistent thing that I can say in a variety of things. It, are you going to commit to it? So, yeah, awesome, man. I'm looking forward to seeing all that. So keep us posted. Definitely would love to bring you back on when you're in the RV. So I will hit you up again later this year. So I would love to hear that. So where can we find you? Where can we continue to follow you and your adventures right now, the things that you do have available for our listeners to go to, to you know, follow your, your pages and whatnot. 
Yeah, so if you go to youtube.com slash Sir William Adams, um, then that is the direct link there to the channel. If you just type in Sir William Goes, um, you can find it as of right now. Um, again, that'll be rebranded at some point, but you can follow me on all social media. You can look up on Facebook or Instagram, Sir William Goes. You'll be able to find it there. And, uh, and yeah, just follow along, and, and I'm pretty active on there, sometimes too active. Yeah, you you. That's one thing I can definitely say uh, from personally meeting you, as well as hitting you up a few times. Uh, very, if you hit hit him up, he will eventually get back to you. If you see him someplace, approach him. Uh, absolutely, he'll talk to you. He'll he'll give you the scoop. Uh, I mean, that is one thing I really you you're 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 not out there trying to sell or or push up a brand. You're really just just like this whole interview right here. It's just. What you see is what you get. Hey, this is from my experience. This is what I think, and uh, yeah, it's been really great. I do have to ask you before you go, though. The Sir William thing—we never addressed it. I think we should, because our listeners probably like, "What the heck is this Sir William thing?" So uh, yeah, so uh, my granddad that I told you had passed away put a big impact on my life, and uh, he used to call me Sir William. Why he called me Sir William, I have no idea. But <laughs> Sir William. And uh, so that's where that Sir William came from. And the goes came from, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, there was a show or a TV movie series that was um, Ernest. His name was Ernest, and he would go to places. Right. Ernest goes to school. Ernest goes to camp. Ernest goes to jail. And so it just came to Sir William goes. Um, And, you know, the Sir William thing is kind of – it's stuck mainly for my granddad. That's the reason that I kept it. As far as the rebranding and changing it, it is quite pretentious to introduce yourself to folks. And serve them. <laughs> so, so I, my lord, I, I, I kind of stood away. You know, not everybody knows the backstory, right? You know I mean, so, so that's the reason um, that I'll be ended up changing. I'll probably keep, you know, I'll probably keep going by Sir William just because it's different than William. There's a William every time you turn around, so right. I'll keep the Sir William as for that. But uh, but yeah, that's where the Sir William goes comes from and you know um and you were talking about you had mentioned that you know i don't really try to sell anything or anything like that ultimately the only reason that i have a youtube was in that motorcycle wreck that i talked about i had lost a large portion of my memory and whenever i did that and took this trip i said well i know that i'll lose the pictures and the videos that i take so why not put them on youtube and I put them on YouTube, and that's where I came up with the Sir William Goes. That's how this whole thing started. And I put them on YouTube more so so that way I would have a, a way to go back and reminisce on the trips that I took. Um, from there, I started getting this following. But the the number one thing that, that I do it for now is, first and foremost, is I've gotten – hundreds of messages literally hundreds which i know sounds crazy because i have a small following and and i thought it was crazy too but i've gotten hundreds of messages from people all around the u.s and even around the world that they're not physically able to go out and see the places that we as capable able-bodied human beings can go see and they use my videos as a as a way for them to go out and see these places and i just and and that's the number one reason that i do it and the second reason would be 
I've gotten many a messages from many a different people that are like, hey, man, you know, you really inspired me to just get out and go and not worry about all the BS and all the trinkets and stuff. Like, I, I realized through watching you that you can just go out and, and have fun without all that. And so those are the two reasons that I that I continue to make videos. So for anybody and everybody that's listening that has sent me those messages, you know, I really appreciate it. And you guys are the reason that I continue to do it. And you guys are the reasons that I have the motivation in order to do it. It's, it's you know, it's, it's really cool. And when somebody takes the time out of their day in order to, you know, write me a message or send me a, a whatever they send me, wherever they send it to me, then I feel an obligation that I should take my time to send them back at least a thank you. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how I feel. And if you see me, you know, when you see me at the, the, I, I try to stay away from a lot of the meets and stuff. I go to a couple of the overland stuff, but it's, that's not really what I do it for. So I, I don't really go to a lot of the big gatherings or anything like that. Unless somebody wants to, you know, get me in there, then, then I'll go. But, um, you know, the, the one thing I will say is just the, the people that I've met, man, off of doing this, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and so, and that's what I really enjoy. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Uh, it has been fantastic, uh, catching up with you, talking to you. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I'm a huge fan, as you know, uh, yeah, we'd look forward to having you back on. I will reach out again sometime later this year. Once you kind of get things on the road, I will be watching, uh, yeah, brother. Hey, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me on. In the Rock, Mud and Dirt is brought to you by Warren Industries. At Warren, we pour our effort and our thirst for adventure into every product we make. You better believe American pride runs deep here in Clackamas, Oregon. Here, a small army of engineers, technicians, machinists, and assemblers design and refine Warren products, bringing them as close to perfection as possible. Their work is backed up by legendary quality control that doesn't just stand up to rigid worn standards. It lives up to the toughest demands of the world's top vehicle manufacturers and military suppliers. How do we know? Because they've partnered with Warren for decades. This quest for peerless reliability, this worn difference, will be around as long as Warren Industries is in business. At least another 70 years. Go prepared. Go worn. Welcome to the Rock, Mud, and Dirt. There, I got it right. It's funny. I'm the one who came up with a segment name, and it seems each week I want to change it up. Kind of like how I like to drive my Jeep. Sometimes dirt, sometimes mud, sometimes just the mall crawl. First, I just want to make sure that I say this up front. Thank each and every one of you for your support. Our 2019 People and Brand Celebration was a success. How do we know? Because there is no way this podcast would have came alive without both the people and brands who have actively supported us. We love the numerous events we sponsored, the many clubs we supported, and fantastic customers who help, help we help get their rig to the next level. We are grateful for our continued partnerships that we have with brands like Warren, Tuffy, Factor 55, KC Highlights, General Tire, Power Tank, S-Pot, Toxic Off-Road, and Best Stop, and new ones like C-State Coffee and Atlas 46. That has been an amazing ride, essentially living the Jeep life. But like me and many of you, there's so much more to our story, so much more to our lives. And this podcast has allowed me to share so much more with you. I appreciate all the positive feedback you have provided me directly. But remember, like you hear us say often here, we are just getting started. As for the rot, dirt, and mud segment, we are working to bring on some reps from some great brands to talk about their brand and product. 
With that said, we really love to hear about the people that use the gear, that live to wheel, and take some amazing overland adventures. So we're lining up some amazing people from the trail life who have stories to share and might even inspire you. As for Route 16, we will continue to sell parts and accessories in 2020. With 2019 being a great year for us, we have no plans of changing this. We are more than happy to help you look help you to build that rig. Just send us your parts, the parts you're looking for, via direct message or email, and we'll get a quote out to you. As we end this segment, we know that you are probably working on putting on those new parts, working on those new mods, as we are waiting to see the waiting for the new trail season to open. Remember to take this time for some good vehicle maintenance and self-inspection. Get to know your rig inside and out. Note a difference from a leak that is minor to one that is the one that you should be worried about. In my case, Jeeps are like Harleys. It will always have a leak. If it's not leaking, you might want to check the fluids. For minor items, work on fixing those. Replace a belt, a hose, flush your radiator, cut off the old dried flex ties, and replace them with new ones. A project I'm doing this during this time is placing a new electric fan on my Jeep. I plan on mounting it directly on my radiator and hooking it up to my S-Pod. With my rig capping at 200,000 mile, uh, capping the 300,000 milestone recently, I want to make sure to find ways to continue to help it go strong. With my radiator seal looking clean, there's no need to replace it. I also need to install my More Ride tailgate reinforcement kit. During this downtime as well, I plan on doing that. Definitely be hearing from me on both these installs in the near future. So good luck with your uh, plans this, on this off season, with your upgrades, with your maintenance. And if you got a great story, make sure to share it with us. Man, sounds like you're going to be busy. Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of flex, uh, you know, those flex ties. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think that's one of the things yeah, that man. people neglect is they don't really get looking all around their vehicle. They wait for something to go bad and then they jump in. Well, oh yeah. You know, with with vehicle like mine's a 2008. It's got like a, a you know, 200,000 miles on it. There it is going to be pretty everywhere. It just isn't. But yeah. the, if it's running strong and all that, what are the things that can help out? Can I add something to the to the uh, to the oil to help it, you know, uh, churn better? Uh, can I make sure to do uh, the the maintenance schedule correctly and and appropriately? Like I am religious now at every you know three to four thousand miles, I'm changing my fluids uh, just because yeah. I always want to try and keep everything clean in that. And there are a couple of people that feel that's not necessary, but I know. Like for my Jeep, it definitely runs better and I get, you know, better responses when I do keep up that maintenance, you know, checking the tires, rotating those things, you know, checking anything that's a seal is a big one. And there's a lot of them all through your rig. So all those little things, because I tell you what, neglecting those, when you first take it out on that first run in the trail, uh, I can't tell you how many times on opening day and many wheelers know that the people that have neglected this maintenance period is what I call it. That first day out on the trail, they're trying to whip it on hard. That's when those things, they find them and they're like, man, I should have took care of that. So for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I also, I want to reiterate all the brands and everything from 2019. Thank you sponsors of the podcast and everything. It's, it's fantastic what they're doing, how they're helping us out. I appreciate what they did for route one six before I came along. I appreciate everything that you did to Route 16. You're letting me tag along on your coattails to try to help build something even bigger and better. And, uh, I, it's, dude, it's really cool. It's awesome to have those folks involved, and hopefully we continue to expand on that. Oh, hey, man, ain't no coattails here. We're a team. I appreciate you being here, Chuck. 
have an idea, or maybe you'd like to contribute to one of our segments, then go to route16.com slash and select contact and let us know your idea. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com and select contact. The Cup of Joe segment is brought to you by Sea steak Coffee. Have you ever actually drank good coffee? Stop wasting your money on old, stale coffee from the store and make the switch to Sea steak Coffee. Sea steak Coffee is a United States Marine Corps veteran-owned and operated roastery selling premium coffee that's roasted on order and delivered fresh to you. Order your coffee today at www.seasteakcoffee.com. Man, what a show. We had a lot, man. It is, man. It was a lot. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Well, I'm definitely going to be checking out Sir William. I, I didn't know who it was and, and until this episode, and you told me about it and whatnot. And uh, interesting story. I'm definitely going to be looking into the YouTube channel a little bit. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. Uh, you know, He's probably going to be sharing more with us. We got something we talked about after the interview. Uh, maybe you guys may definitely want to stay tuned. Uh, you definitely want to follow him. Uh, information will be in the show notes as well. I'll make sure to put them there. He's got a lot going on, a lot of new things that are changing for him. Uh, got this RV adventure coming up. Uh, you definitely want to follow him. And I will tell you this, you and I said it during the interview, if you ever run into him, he is very approachable. If you have questions or you're interested in, in doing the overlanding thing or just interested about, hey, how should I set up my rig for whatever, extremely knowledgeable. He is definitely a person you can approach and he will just give you his honest opinion. He's He's not a jerk about it. Really down to earth guy, and I was so glad to bring him on. Just really cool. So yeah, looking forward to it. You know, speaking of interviews, um, I'm going to have Axe Overland, uh, gentleman that lives out in the UK, American lives in the UK that has a uh, right side driving diesel Jeep that he has for an Overland rig. We're going to learn about him. So he'll be coming up uh, in an episode. And then I also have Brian, a.k.a. Foolish Habit TJ, a jeeper and off-road club leader for Zombie Crawlers in the beautiful state of Kentucky. We got him coming on. And we're going to start having a, a lot more interviews coming your way. It's starting to spin up. New year. Uh, definitely the uh, Go Adventuring series is going to spike up. Uh, FMC Overland still going to be doing his thing. We got some other stuff. We haven't forgot all the other things on Target. We're really excited about it. It's all kind of coming together and looking forward to it. But Chuck got some from the, some from the field stuff coming up. We were actually, like I mentioned earlier, there were some technical difficulties. We were supposed to uh, interview tonight a participant from the Getting Started Outdoors through North Carolina. I've got a couple interviews with some buddies of mine that went out, um, and one was able to get his first elk. Another guy was going on a mountain goat hunt. If I can get those lined up, they've already signed on to to do the interview they want to talk about it so some more adventures coming down the pipeline for sure um maybe next week i'll be able to talk about my first duck hunt that i'm actually going on in the morning oh that's awesome man i'm taking uh my son shooting we're going to the range with some rifles and stuff but man that's awesome i can't wait to hear about that yeah you definitely need to talk about that chuck (laughs) yeah i'm looking forward to it um i've spent the majority of my life picking on duck hunters you know, uh, I, I admit I have been too, because I'm like, man, I, I feed those things at ponds. I don't get it. <laughs> but well, they, my whole thing was we live in North Carolina, North Arkansas. There's no ducks here. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you getting up at two in the morning and going to freeze to death for one meal? Yada, 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 the whole spiel. <laughs> when I'd rather wake up and go hunt squirrels. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely not hunting the first split during deer season for ducks. Um, but now, 
actually, I met a guy randomly over the summer through work. He and I have been going back and forth, and he was finally the one that was kind of able to to crack the shell and kind of caught me into going. And, and realistically, I think it's more or less my frustration with my personal deer season this year. Right, it's right. like, I got to break something else up. So uh, there's a good chance that that, uh, that first duck split uh, next fall, I'll be standing in some flooded timber somewhere instead of in the deer woods, uh, depending on how tomorrow goes. But yeah, we're taking out, we're taking our kayaks and going to, uh, to a local lake and paddling out and trying to get back in some woods and hopefully get some wood ducks and some mallards and whatever else shows up based on his reports. Hopefully we got some bigger ducks migrating through. So that's hopefully great. It's successful. Well, definitely share some pictures of that for sure. I talked to a friend of mine. Uh, he and I were, we served in the Marines. We were on embassy duty in Honduras together. And I was, he's from Colorado and I started talking about hunting out there. So I think later this year, I want to have a plan to go out there where he was telling me all sorts of wonderful things about hunting out there. So I think I'm going to look at trying to get out and go visit. And I do have a friend of mine. Uh, with some property out there and elk actually walk through it. So I'm going to research some of that and uh, see if I can link up with him. If I'm able to get an elk draw, like, yeah, buddy. I mean, man, that is a lot of meat and that's good meat. Yeah. And that's the goal for uh, me next year, next fall as well. Me and a couple guys are, are planning on going to Montana and doing an elk mule deer combo out there. So, and it's, it's going to be public land. I mean, realistically, I, I don't want to spend the money for a guide. Uh, at this time, I really can't spend the money for a guide. So the opportunities there, uh, on national forest and, and different block management areas to get out there. So that's where we're going. Um, and it, I mean, it really is, it's the quote unquote, like working man's type hunt to be able to get out there, enjoy those opportunities and these, these relatively cheap vacations. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I always, and I know people may get tired of hearing me talk about it and, um, why I've gotten so attached to public lands over like the last probably four or five years, uh, or so because, because of the aspect of being able to go out and enjoy it. And it's so big in the overlanding community and everything just to go and have a spot. Uh, and there, and there are areas out there that aren't necessarily shown on a map that are public land. Um, I've got a few secrets that I've recently found out about that. I'm not sure if I want to divulge or not, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, there are there are plenty of opportunities if you dig hard enough and you go through these state websites and uh, federal websites and stuff to get out there and have some legitimately like cheap vacations and it's not just hunting. Like I said, me I've already I mean me and my wife are going on a backpacking trip, hopefully a couple this summer in the mountains of North Carolina. You get to get out, you get to see stuff, and right. uh, outside of gas money, we don't have a whole lot invested in it. So yeah, that's cool. You know, in I I didn't even mention it when we were talking about it. I really wish I'd have brought my fishing pole that day when I was out there in that game land. I just, that, so what's interesting is on the game land, there's like two, like, you know, lake ponds, whatever. Um, and then across the road, which isn't game land is mm-hmm. another, uh, like pond. So, you know, people out there fishing and they're not even fishing out on the game land. And I'm just watching these birds die bond, picking out fish all morning. And I was like, man, I should have brought my fishing pole. So, and I, right. I've, I've hunted a property oh, earlier this year. Um, it was private property and I'm glad I brought my fishing pole because I did, I didn't see a deer until I left that day. And so right. I just broke up my day, went fishing and caught a bunch of uh, bluegill. Oh yeah. That's, that's another man. I, I learned, I learned a long time ago that, um, don't go 
for just one species if you're going to travel to hunt. Well, it's like I'm going to Alabama in a few weeks in January, and I'll be taking a shotgun. I'll be taking my deer rifles and my bow, and I also have a 22. Um, the one thing about Alabama, and I'm deer hunting down there, but you can only kill one deer a day. So at 10 minutes after the sun comes up, if I happen to get lucky enough to shoot a deer, my day's done. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pack my waders down. Um, I mean, I'm pro- I'm going to be prepared to pretty much do everything, but fish. Um, I may take my fly rod. I don't know just because I'm going with three other guys. I don't want to, or two other guys. I don't want to travel, uh, a good distance. If one of us gets lucky, uh, right. on one day or something and has the rest of the day to spare, but I'm definitely not going to be sitting around camp watching squirrels run around. <laughs> right I'm, on. Uh, I'm taking the 22 because they're everywhere you go. There are these other opportunities to get out and to get stuff done. Um, but like for instance, North Carolina in the mountains, we go up, if we hunt Friday, Saturday on some public land, well, you can't hunt on Sunday. Well, I'm already here. I might as well fish. Right. You know, absolutely. And you know, and like a good example is, Hey, maybe for like, you know, people like myself like to off road. Hey, that's your wheel day. Uh, there, there, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about in the interview with, with Sir Williams. Just there's, you have a big chunk of land at public land. There's all these activities that you're able to do in it. And you know, as long as we all care for it, those things will be available. If we don't care for it, then they're going to go away and going to affect all those activities, whether it's fishing, hunting, right. wheeling, whatever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, being able to exactly. plan that and getting much out of it as possible. And you're right. It's a cheap vacation, but boy, you're probably going to come with a lot better memories. Yeah. Oh, man, and, and, and by cheap, I don't mean cheap negative. I mean cheap is inexpensive, but you're yeah. exactly right. The memories are going to be way better. I know that's that's the – we me and my wife, we've been – I mean, we've been to a couple of resorts and things like on our honeymoon and stuff like that, and that was great. That was awesome. We want to go back. But the things that we really want to do more than anything are to get out and about and 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 camp and backpack and stuff. Well, even – I mean, for example, like even Breckenridge yep. where we went snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Three quarters of that mountain is national forest. Three quarters of that uh, resort, those ski slopes are on public land. No kidding. Where yeah, yeah, the yeah they are they are in the national forest. So if you go out there, and those lands were to be sold, well then the the ski resorts in a negotiation with whoever buys those lands. You know what I mean? So right. you don't really realize it, but the public lands are impacting you a lot more than what you think they are, and they are there for recreation purposes. They're also there for multi-use. I mean, there are your your forestry industries, super important. Your other extractive industries are very important too. Um, and just from an economic standpoint, but they're also there for you to get out and have a good time on. And it really is. I mean, it's a gem um, of of the United States to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're we're very fortunate to have these places. And again, yeah, just take care of it, y'all. Take care of it for sure. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, thanks for putting up with my little bit of cough that I've got lagging from this uh, strep throat slash sinus infection, whatever I had. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in for 2019. We're ready to blow up 2020. Uh, so if you like this, be sure to subscribe to the show. Uh, when you subscribe, click on the far right star. Give us a five-star rating. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. We we really are pushing for feedback. We want to get we want to get more content from the people that are out there listening and try to get this show larger. So for for sure, leave us a rating and review. Reach out to us. Shoot us an email. Get in touch with us through the route16.com or through social media with whatever avenue. Uh, 
uh, you prefer, uh, for sure. And once again, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Route 16 Grind. We want to thank our amazing sponsors, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, C-State Coffee, and Route 16 Off-Road for their support. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just look for Route 16. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X. Or just go to Route16.com. Until next week, plan smart, be safe, and as always, be prepared. Time to put on some new flex ties. Yeah!